Welcome to CAE Catalyst, Defense and Security Podcast. The word catalyst is most often associated with change. In the context of this podcast, we will be looking at the key drivers acting as a stimulus in bringing about results in the defense industry. CAE Catalyst joins experts from CAE and our industry to discuss relevant topics affecting our defense and security customers and community at large. From training to technology, we will discuss the catalysts that advance mission readiness. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the CAE Defense Catalyst podcast. Joining me today is Deborah McKinnon and Mr. Terry Gaylord. Ms. Debbie McKinnon is the Manager of Courseware and Training Solutions for CAE's Defense and Security International Programs based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Debbie has been with CAE for 10 years with a focus on project and program management. She is a graduate of Mount St. Vincent University and the Information Technology Institute, and she currently manages the Training Solution Execution Team based in Canada. Debbie's area of expertise includes the fundamentals of learning and the integration of training design. Also joining is Mr. Terry Gaylord. He's the Senior Manager for CAE's Instructional Systems Group based in Sherwood, Arkansas. Terry began his career with CAE in 2016 as a courseware developer, rising to group lead for courseware development and then courseware manager. Prior to to joining CAE, he had a successful 20-year career in the U.S. Air Force. Terry is a graduate of the American Military University, and he currently leads a team of over 70 training system designers responsible for all aspects of training design and courseware content production. A welcome to you both. In today's podcast, we'll explore what's driving training transformation specifically those elements that must align to meet growing demands for more student output, uh, more graduates who are trained better, faster, and cheaper. We'll examine the essential links between instructional design, education, technology, and desired learning objectives. Finally, we'll investigate innovative new ways of focusing instructional design on student needs, including the use of non-traditional approaches to technical skills training. Instructional design can be defined in many ways, but we'll use this one as a primer for our discussion today. It's the practice of systematically designing, developing, and delivering instructional materials and experiences, and those are both digital and physical, in a consistent and reliable fashion towards an efficient, effective, appealing, engaging, and inspiring acquisition of knowledge. The bottom line, it's how we design training for maximum effect and to help students achieve the best outcomes that they can. So I'd like to begin our conversation today with a discussion on requirements. Why are requirements in training system design so important? And we'll start with you, Deb, your thoughts, please. Sure, so requirements are critical to ensure that A, you understand all the teaching components and the the training points that need to be taught, but also because training courseware, theory modules, et cetera, can be quite subjective. And everybody has an opinion. So it's critical to uh, nail down the requirements at a high level up front. It's imperative to get a sign off on those requirements uh, by preferably single points of contact per individual course that you're going to be developing. And it's also critical to help get an understanding of what the training uh, approval process will end up being. So we use 
the courseware, the CDAP, the courseware development uh, and acceptance process document with all of our proposals. And it just highlights an understanding of who's responsible at what critical point within the development of the training solution, who's responsible to sign off on those teaching points, and who's, an, who's responsible to review them to make sure that the requirements are met. And it, it allows the team to, uh, to not extend the budget and the timelines by properly understanding who's got what responsibility at what tag point throughout the whole process. Quite a bit uh, there that's extremely important to sort of uh, uh, understand at some level of depth. So we're going to talk quite a bit more about that today, but certainly some excellent points there. Terry, I'd like to give you the opportunity to share your perspective as well on the importance of requirements. I don't know how I how I top Deb with requirements, but <laughs> the you know the, the the crux of it is making sure that we're training to the standard that our customers are looking for. They they know what needs to be trained. Having those requirements captured early, so in the development process, we develop around those requirements as opposed to developing that may or may not include those requirements. So it's a very uh, it sets us down a, a a standard pathway to ensure that the material we deliver, one meets the customer's needs requirement, right? But uh, more than that, to uh, ensure that our students are trained to the standards that they need to be trained to go out and operate in the real world environment. Let me add something, if I could, based on some recent experience with a customer here overseas that was very concerned about the requirements burden, if you will. They felt that the need to define requirements was overwhelming. Like there are so many elements to, you know, new training innovation or some transformational efforts they were looking at. They really didn't know what specifically they needed to define. And uh, I tried to describe to him that uh, in, in some cases, just saying, I need a training program that's flexible and adaptable. That's mm -hmm. a requirement all by itself. Right. And that's something that we can certainly design to. So please uh, give me your thoughts on that, if you would. Yeah, I'll start. So we do, we do what we call training needs analysis up front. And you're right. It can start as simple as I have, I have to train, you know, 25 pilots uh, and, and this is the qualification they need. And, and I don't know what I need beyond that. So we can easily go in to that situation and help identify what the throughput looks like, what types of devices these uh, students are going to need, uh, what kind of media is going to be in, involved in creating the theory versus the practicals, how many, you know, how many times do people have to practice this stuff. All of that can come out of a, a really simple upfront high-level discussion about training needs analysis, and, and we do it all the time. Absolutely. Let me ask you then, Terry, as a lead off then, what do you see as some of the major drivers uh, that are pushing modern military forces to evolve their training approaches as we look to requirements and specifically how our customers are uh, facing kind of uncertain futures? Uh, explain to me, if you will, your perspective on these drivers for change in training transformation efforts. So uh, from my perspective, uh, there's a couple of key topics that go into answering that question. First, today's forces are not our father's and our grandfather's forces. Our equipment is vastly different, even though some of our equipment, our fathers and grandfathers flew. Um, but the way we employ that equipment is vastly different than the way we did 20, 30, 40 years ago. 
the need to 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 change and adapt with uh, modern military methodologies and employment is is number one. But I think to me most importantly is our students today are not. Uh, and I won't go as far as our fathers and grandfathers. Our students today are not us. Our mm. students today are not our previous generations. Um, they're vastly different. They learn different. They have vastly different, for the most part, interests in life. And they're far more advanced, by and large, than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago with regard to technology and what it takes to use that technology and, and use it mm -hmm. as a learning tool. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, my I, my kids are a great example of that, and they're young. They don't want to be pilots, but just in general, yet they yet yes, that's right. <laughs> just in general, their adaptability and ability to find out how to do things on the fly is like incredible. We never we never did that twenty years ago. If they want to learn anything, they they reach for their technology, and a lot of the training programs out there need in my opinion, need to adapt to that because you need to understand your student and how they learn. And a lot of, you know, new new training sites aren't really set up for that adaptability and that understanding that students are completely different and they do learn very differently than, than maybe 25, 30 years ago. Deb, would you go so far as to say that uh, many of our current training programs suffer from uh, out-of-date instructional design then? Um, I would say Yes, by nature of uh, just where we're at and uh, adaptability to, I think customers want the latest technology. They, they want to do, they want student-centric leading edge technology. They say they want it, but then when you start to have the conversations a little deeper with them, they're a little bit hesitant and a little bit nervous and they're not really sure. So, and a lot of the the proposals that we work on and even the requests for information. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> there's something that comes across my desk really frequently, which is, oh, we already have an existing courseware or training program. We just, you, you, there's going to be a lot of reusability. You can just reuse all the theory. And once you start to dig into that and you recognize that the students are so much different now than when that theory stuff was originally created, that it's not going to work and trying to convince our customers that it's not going to work and that it's not really going to cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars more. It's just a different approach that if we can start to look at how to train these students, these type A new technology savvy students differently, that it will help the entire program be more efficient. And, and to, to jump on the backside of that, Deb, not only, you know, changing that, but getting our customers understanding that moving in, in in a different direction, I don't want to say it new, but a different direction, something that they're not necessarily accustomed to is going to help improve their, their overall throughput, getting training done faster, more efficiently right. to a higher level than they've ever done before, yet faster and more efficiently. Getting them on board with that and understanding that we can do that for them is one of those, uh, those hard hard areas for us to break through, much like the new technology. They say they want it, but mm -hmm. when we go to offer it to them, it, it becomes a slightly different story. Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting yes. thought, you know, that uh, there is some reluctance to change and transform, and it comes born mostly from a sense of not knowing or not completely understanding what that change looks like, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. Terry, your thoughts on that? Maybe one 
not necessarily so uh, popular, right? But a lot of uh, a lot of our customers see the driving change or the move into uh, a more technologically advanced approach. See that as a threat mm-hmm. at, at, at the individual level, uh, down to an instructor. They see that as you're going to employ this, and w- what's what's my what's my use case now as an instructor? That's not the case, right? We are supplementing the the firsthand knowledge and skill set that instructors have so that their time can be more better utilized in that one-on-one instruction that the students need that quite honestly we we can't provide for them through advanced technologies but uh, again breaking through that barrier that look this is this is supplemental to what you already do and we want the students to have more of your personal undivided attention mm-hmm yeah, I agree. And that, that kind of links into like the, the the classroom of the future, I guess we'll call it, where you can kind of flip the classroom and and think about, you know, being more student-centric and focusing instructors, exactly like Terry said, on areas where students maybe are struggling. So, um, but yet there might be other students that aren't struggling in that particular situation or scenario. So allow an adaptive and prescriptive program to be able to determine where students are struggling, where they're excelling. Because if a student is excelling in, in a module, why not let them jump to the next module? So that not, like not everybody's gonna learn at the same, the same pace. So if we could create training solutions where students can do perhaps more, more learning either at home or remotely with lower level devices, you know, they have more access to to different types of tools that will allow them to progress. We can track their progression and then they would need an instructor only really as required or on big tr- uh, teaching points that everybody agrees. Everybody needs to be in the classroom. This is a, this is a critical teaching point. We all need to learn at the same level here, but there are, there could be ebbs and flows within the rest of the program that would really help accelerate the entire program. Yeah, Deb, I'd like to explore that a little more if I could here. How can instructional design help improve learning outcomes? You mentioned a couple of things there in terms of Mm -hmm. classrooms and uh, really a more of a focus on individual student requirements as opposed to class requirements. Uh, Tell me a little bit more, if you can, about uh, how instructional design can actually help out there with those outcomes. Yeah, well, if you think about instructional designers, they're not engineers. They have a learning background, so they understand how people learn. They understand how to chunk uh, components and concepts so that people are not overwhelmed while they are learning. Um, They can really spend time up front during that whole training needs analysis, like doing some interviews to really figure out the the types of students that they're going to be training for. And they can help design the entire program to break things up properly so that they're not overwhelmed when when they're learning and then if if we collaboratively work with the instructional designers to build the whole solution then your if you could gather data in the background you could easily provide that whole prescriptive and adaptive learning concepts where you're grabbing the data you're able to show your customer and your instructor where students may be struggling or where they're excelling and then you can adapt the program for those needs and move it all forward. So instructional designers can help with all of that. They understand the science of learning. They understand those concepts and they can integrate all of that into a solution. 
Yeah, Terry, the same question to you then about how instructional design can help improve learning outcomes. Yeah, I don't have very much to, to offer past Deb once again, um, but I, I think for, for, for me, the evaluation piece of the ADDI model that we typically use, you know, to analyze, develop, design, develop, implement, evaluate, right? The evaluate portion is what we're talking about here, right? It's the, it's the OODA loop uh, of the backside of it. Yeah. And using data analytics, uh, using uh, past SCORM and getting into XAPI and seeing what the students are doing, how they're doing, how mm-hmm. they're performing, and then going back and, and, and taking that material and, and, and adjusting it to better meet the requirements that we talked about earlier, or to better understand, have we taught this correctly or mm-hmm. efficiently? We can see that you know, 90% of class X missed question 10. What's wrong with question 10 is what you need to ask, right? It's right. not what's wrong with the students. The material is where we're failing them. So right. going back and, and saying, okay, did we cover it in the material? Was it taught in class? And why are the students you know, uh, failing to answer it correctly? That, that's, a, that's a foul on the, on the, the de- development side. And, and we're not doing our students any, any service by creating poor material that we're not evaluating on the back end. Mm-hmm. Right. As training that's providers, right. we have experience on this kind of thing. So that's a, that's yeah. a great point. I really, I really uh, respect and remind and reminded of that for sure. Terry, let me get back to you if I can here. I, I really appreciate your comment on evaluation. It's really a, a high area of interest to me, and I know it's a high area of interest to CAE as well. You know, how do you know that students are learning something in a consistent, repeatable fashion? that's meaningful for them as individuals, that's meaningful for their ultimate customers. Uh, evaluation is, uh, is something that's a, a topic of great interest, as I mentioned. So if you could, Terry, give me your thoughts, if you will, on uh, the importance of evaluation and training system design, and then also in operations. Well, I mean, the, the importance of evaluation, there's a difference between uh, rote memorization and practical application of knowledge, right? So the practical application of knowledge comes further in the stage of training, right? So we go, the, it's, it's the, the crawl, walk, run methodology that, that everybody uses, right? So we, we give them the tools, we give them the training, we evaluate based off of the content, right? But we're also mm-hmm. evalu- evaluating once more or even throughout the life cycle of, of any student or any aviator, whatever their, their practice is, they get evaluated throughout their lifetime. Have you retained that knowledge in order to properly execute and employ your machinery, whether that's, you know, land, sea, air, space, you name it, right? Can you continue to do that in, in a proficient manner? Um, I know we, uh, I'll go off on a little side tangent, we tend to get wrapped around the axles or about um, training simulators, right? That's a tool to train, right? Mm-hmm. That is just one piece of the puzzle, but it's also a good piece in that evaluation stage just past the classroom presentation and, and getting through that evaluation is, okay, now you step into the sim. Can you employ what you've just learned? Mm-hmm. Kind of like yeah. a validation step, I guess. Yes. That's, the way I, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, yeah Dad, yeah. what do you have? To add to that, I mean, bi- biometrics, that's where biometrics comes in too. So you can really, you know, hit on some some innovative processes and are the are the students looking in the areas they should be looking in while they're doing the procedures they should be doing? 
And then all of those data points are what is going to really drive that whole training solution home, you know, because you can create better adaptive programs and more prescriptive programs if you gather all the right data, you know, and you're figuring out exactly who's doing what. Are they supposed to be doing that? Are they sweating? Are they, are their eyes bulging out of their head? <laughs> you know, all that stuff uh, that, that could really help is, it's really kind of a cool, innovative stuff. It is, yes. We've uh, CAE is investing heavily in this, obviously, and it's really yeah. sort of an interesting, undiscovered country in the field of neuroscience as well as biomechanical sciences to to be able to 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 find that speed limit, if you will, or that speed gauge for how fast someone can learn, whether they're overwhelmed, and uh, use that as an evaluation tool for not only the student's performance but also the performance of the training system itself. I think it's a great point there. Yep, agree. Great. Terry, let me come back to you if I can here on how you define the links between instructional design and some of the educational technology that uh, Deb had mentioned earlier here. You know, we, we as a training system integrator are often called on to, to, to bring those two components together, right? New tools and capabilities, VR, simulation capabilities, you name it, with instructional approaches that are different than have what been used and then what we ha may have used in the past anyway. So give me your perspective if you can on how we as an integrator can help blend those pieces together successfully. Yeah, so uh, you, you know, by and large, we have a vast amount of resources within our company that have been through these training programs and understand what they are, what they used to be. They understand the technology and, and the need to, to move training into that new technology, right? A lot of the, you know, good methodologies for us would be, let's just take, uh, you know, a, a uh, virtual or augmented reality system and put it into play, right? Much like Deb mentioned earlier, getting training into students before showing up on site, right? Mm -hmm. If I can develop a scripted lesson in virtual or augmented reality with a virtual instructor, that is able to communicate and and guide a student through you know something as as simple as as uh, you know an aircraft walk around, which they wouldn't get to that point yet. But nonetheless, it's mm -hmm. it's getting that that immersion into what they're going to be doing early, and also having the capability of of having that virtual instructor where we don't have a dedicated on-site instructor. It's it's gaining that knowledge early. It's not difficult, but it is different, right? Mm -hmm. um, the way that we develop that training is different from what we did in the past. You know, it's a CBT. I sit down, I, I look at a, a flight manual, and I, I, you know, I summarize the topics and, and make it understandable to, to the common person coming into that training program. Whereas once you put them in virtual augment, augmented reality or, or, or something along those lines, you've got to take a little bit of a different approach. You writing out scripts, something that we don't typically do. You know, those are uh, it's more a, a task on the on the developer than it is for the student because they're getting the same information just in a different way. Yeah, I agree. Like you can do things like 3D walkarounds, right? If you have an aircraft and you can do a 3D model of the walkaround, then students can get familiar with that before they even see it. And these are like just low-level multimedia components that can be added into the courseware instead of waiting for all the theory and the the slide shows and the next, next, next clicking, it engages them easier, faster, earlier. I totally agree with you, Terry. Yeah, and I'll tell you just a, you know, a personal anecdotal story going through you know, a, a training system that I went in. The very first time that I got to the aircraft, 
was the first time that I ever stepped foot on that aircraft. And oh, by the way, we were taking off in two hours. So you want to talk about a a helmet fire, right? I mean, we had the simulators, we had the park test trainers, we had the, the procedures trainers, but nothing beats either physically getting on that aircraft or a full virtual representation of that aircraft Mm -hmm. so that I know what I'm getting into and I know the time constraints that I'm going to have and all the things that I've got to get through in two hours before takeoff. So I would love to have had it. I would love to have had it 15 years ago. (laughs) So I think what we're discussing then really is a sense of immersion into the content. So it's not necessarily specific to airplanes. We can have a similar environment with tanks or ships or other devices, but the notion is that creating these synthetic environments, these virtual environments for students to learn in, creates a sense of immersion for them that allows them to connect internally with a topic or a subject, and it allows them to learn more deeply, more, more meaningfully. If the learning becomes more sticky, they can apply it you know, later on when they jump in the actual device, or if they are, you know, in someone else's backyard getting shot at on a dark, scary night, you know, these things become uh, permanent to them, I think. That's sort of what I take away from this conversation and how important it is for us to blend uh, technology with instructional design to come up with those types of outcomes. Deb, does that mm-hmm. uh, track with what you're thinking? A hundred percent. Like we talked about um, having instructional design and the science of learning you know, I look at it uh, as the foundation of the entire training solution. So you understand your students up front, you understand the needs of the customer, and then you build the whole solution around that. And the students are different, like Terry said. They're completely different. They learn differently. They're tech-savvy. Programs need to adapt for them to make it fun. It needs to be fun and exciting, (laughs) you know? They want to be pilots or maintainers because it's fun and interesting to them. Jerry, your thoughts on that as well? No, I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I think the hurdle to overcome is we get it. We understand where we think our customers need to go. At some level, our customers kind of need to evaluate the same things that we're evaluating. Who's my, who is my student base? Who is my core group of individuals that, that we're putting through here? And how do we train them? What is the best way to train them? And, and again, that's, that's, a, that's a hard nut to crack because it's outside of our, our, our uh, control, but it's not out of our sphere of influence, right? And that's what Absolutely. we need to be. Yeah. That, that's where we really need to be focusing some attention on is, is that sphere of influence and, and getting our customers to understand, look, we want what's best for your students, but we also need for, for you to kind of reflect for a minute on who they are now. It goes back to my original you know, comment. The students now are not our grandfathers. Exactly. Well said. Grandparents. Deb, let me hit you up with what I consider is a really important component or an important question here in this uh, in this discussion here about driving training transformation here. Share some examples in your experience here of innovative approaches that you're seeing to accelerate training system transformation. All our customers are looking for transformation. Mm-hmm. Most folks realize they need to change the way they're doing things. Could you give us some examples of some innovative approaches you're seeing? Yeah, and I I think Terry and I probably hit on most of them already, like flipped classroom, utilizing instructors only as required, low-level devices, immersion. Those are all biometrics. Those are all innovative ideas and solutions to help condense programs, make them more efficient, and ensure that students come out on the other end fully qualified. So. Yeah, 
I, I think that's those are all key 3D walkarounds, little easy things. Like, uh, I mean, students are still going to have to sit in a classroom and do some theory stuff. There's just no way around that. But if you can integrate some high uh, interactivity within those modules within the classroom or like let them step outside of the classroom and their classroom can be anything. It can be their their bedroom at home. And then they can go, you know, jump into a, a low level device for a couple of hours and get some training or stick on a, a headset and, and get some VR training. T Terry, same to you then. Uh, innovative approaches that you're seeing uh, to accelerate training system transformation across the DNS space, uh, multi-domain here, uh, just uh, things that you have seen that uh, you think are going to really be sort of a harbinger of the future. Yeah, so we've had some breakthroughs with uh, with requests for virtual and augmented reality within the last twelve months. That's a that that's a win in my opinion. It's a it's a huge win for transformation. We finally have customers that have said, you know what, you're right. We we do need some level of uh, of this this interactivity. You know, some of the and again going back to the the flip classroom or. You know, you take a you take a maintainer of of whatever type of vehicle, and uh, you know it's not everywhere that there's a you know a, a jet engine sitting in a hangar, right? <laughs> what if I put that jet engine into your classroom with twelve of your compadres and one instructor as an avatar, and I can sit there and I can walk you through every internal piece of that engine without ever leaving the comfort of our air conditioned classroom? We can do that, and we are doing that, right? So. That, that's that's the big one for me is the the the, the you know the final bite off on on digital immersion. Yeah, the notion that it's becoming more accepted as a mainstream instructional practice as opposed to like a cute little technology demonstrator. I think what we're going to find is now that we have a couple of uh, I won't say early adopters because we've been talking about it for so long, but initial adopters is what we're going to call <laughs> yeah. them. Right? There as, you soon, go. as soon as that gets out into the general public, what some of our other customers are doing, I think we're going to see a lot more of it to come in the next six to eight months. I agree. It's coming for sure. Excellent. More of it and quicker. Certainly uh, immersive, engaging environments, learning environments that are at point in time of need as opposed to in a designated classroom necessarily. Uh, certainly something that we're going to be seeing more of. I love the notion that you can, you know, FedEx a set of goggles and a laptop mm -hmm. to a student somewhere and then they can get rid of a huge amount of courseware in a really immersive way. You can test them. You can really be confident that they're learning what they're supposed to be learning and then carry that forward. Terry, let me come back to you if I can real quick here on one final element of uh, training transformation initiatives. I think it's really important to hit on, and that is related to the changing roles of the instructors themselves that are going to be providing training to students. Uh, CAE certainly sees no immediate future where we get rid of all instructors and go to a completely digital world. That's ridiculous uh, because there's so much that an instructor brings to a learning experience for students. So, Terry, for you, let me ask uh, to give me your thoughts on how uh, some of the requirements, how we as a training system provider need to be responsive to the needs of our instructors as they go forward into this new digitally uh, connected uh, learning environment for our students. Yeah. Uh, so first and foremost, it, it goes back to our earlier conversation is that the understanding needs to be had that, um, you know, as we move into more technology, uh, technologically advanced systems to train with, that's not a replacement. The, the idea and the understanding is that we are 
we are trying to better better utilize your skill sets to produce a better quality student on the back end. Focusing on value added and what value do you as a human being, an operator of that piece of machinery, have to bring to a student? I think that's the step one. Yeah. There you go. So, so yeah. Deb, to you, I'd like to, to kind of summarize some of that by saying that uh, we're talking about a repurposing, if you will, of instructor roles, less mm-hmm. from an information provider and uh, onto more of a coach, a mentor, some type of, uh, you know, an additional set of requirements and rules for our instructors. So give me your thoughts, if you will, from an instructional design perspective on how we can better support these instructors moving forward. Yeah, and I think I think when we talk about this this new approach and training transformation, it it will allow more time for instructor learning also. So one thing that we we don't see a lot in in my opinion is training for all the soft skills, but we know we don't train the students for that, but we know the instructors are tapping into all of that. The instructors are the ones that are with the students, so they understand who's got what capabilities, who who are the type type A's, who are the you know the stressed out students, all of those things that, and I think that if we if we focus on training transformation, it's going to allow an opportunity for all of these instructors to help train on some of the other things that that are critical to the program and to the student's success. But they don't have necessarily all the time right now because, like I said, they're in the classroom all the time. And when they're not in the classroom in the evenings, they're studying for what and prepping for the classroom tomorrow. Whereas if we can pull them out of the classroom and, like Terry said, only have them in the classroom when they're absolutely critically needed, then it allows for more time to train them on other things that would help the program flow and and complete. We'll have a separate discussion later on about uh, instructor professional development, um, but those are some really key points there that I wanted to emphasize that we need mm-hmm. to invest time and effort from an instructional design perspective, not only in how best to serve and suit our students, but also how best to serve and, suit and, and support our instructors as they go forward. And uh, they, they live in a changing digital world and they have to change and adapt as well, not only their teaching techniques, and approaches, but also uh, in how we support them to, to grow as uh, professional educators. Yep, exactly. My thanks again to our guests today, Deb McKinnon and Terry Gaylord, for uh, joining us to discuss the drivers of training transformations. I've enjoyed our conversation today, and I look forward to our next conversation here on CAE's Defense Catalyst podcast series. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of CAE Catalyst Defense and Security Podcast. We hope this content has been a stimulus to your education, thought, and understanding as we expand awareness of the significant drivers within the defense industry to support mission readiness.